Coming up, from the latest somewhat ridiculous rumor of a trade for the Brooklyn Nets to the available players on the free agent market, we break down from Carl Anthony Towns to Christian Wood and Dario Saric all of the options for the Brooklyn Nets to improve at the center position. Coming up next. You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Ah, yes, my friends, it is the Locked On Nets podcast, right here at Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team, the Brooklyn Nets, every single day. I am Adam Armbrick, breaking down the New York football giants on the One Giant podcast and having a heck of an offseason over on the Devils Puck Luck podcast, breaking down your New Jersey Devils with Danny McDonough. We thank you for making us your first listen of the day. We're free on all those great platforms. And let you know today's episode is brought to you by Prize Pick. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code Locked On. That's PrizePicks.com. Promo code Locked On. And my friends had so much fun, had so much fun doing a live episode yesterday morning. I decided to do it again, even if I didn't alert you over on social. But we're here. And we're going to be breaking down the center position. As we said, we know free agency is about to kick off here at the end of the week. There's already been some rumblings. There's already kind of some, some predictive moves that are going to be coming here around the league, including the extension of the bring back for Nas Reed with the Minnesota Timberwolves, which can be uh, informative around Nicholas Claxton next offseason as well. So we'll talk a little bit about the immediate and about the long-term future but at the highest level, we have to start with Carl Anthony Towns. Now, this is the kind of thing that gets picked up in a little bit of a rumor cycle. Starts with some conversations on The Athletic. Then it matriculates into Bleacher Report. And then it siphons its way down until it gets to a place where essentially, following the extension, three-year $42 million for Nas Reed, which we'll discuss as it relates to Nicholas Claxton, you start to get these little rumblings that maybe the Minnesota Timberwolves are going to be in the market to try to move off of Carl Anthony Towns. And in doing so, you're going to need to find a trade partner that has some type of sizable contract to make this money kind of line up. And naturally, the Brooklyn Nets and Ben Simmons come into the fray. Let's go ahead and make this uh, clear up front. The Brooklyn Nets are not, this trade is not happening because on its surface, I'll tell you exactly why. Carl Anthony Towns is about to have a $256 million contract kick in. And if you think that there's a reason beyond having obviously traded for Rudy Gobert and having Carl Anthony Towns and then bringing back a player like Nas Reed and having $90 million occupied within one position on your roster and that potentially being a problem for you. The idea here is that when this money kicks in and it goes 36, 50, 54, 58, and $62 million out to 27, 28, this is what the Timberwolves want to get off of the long money. The Brooklyn Nets, while they may have their concerns around Ben Simmons, this tentative approach to saying, hey, if he can be healthy, he obviously has value, may not be $40 million worth of value, but there can be value there. They also know that they're much closer to the end of that contract journey than the beginning of it. Now, 
Does that maybe under these new CBA terms start to open up the possibility of the Nets being maybe able to explore moving off of Ben Simmons if the right deal comes, if the right player is available? That's possible. It's probably a conversation for another day. But the bottom line is for everything that Carl Anthony Towns is, which I like him as a player, heard him recently say that he's going to go down as someone who changed the position. Go see Nick Angstad from Locked On Mavs for his, his response to that. He happens to know a man that played that position in Dallas who is regarded as someone who changed the position in the NBA. He's a fantastic player. He does a lot of things that complement the Brooklyn Nets, but it just doesn't make sense for Brooklyn to get committed into that type of money. Again, it's not even about the individual. It's not about the necessarily even that contract. The Nets are still in this holding pattern to me around what they're going to do over these next couple of years. So that's how we dismiss that. But we do add in the footnote here that when we think about Nicholas Claxton and the Nas Reed signing three years, 42 million, that can give us a little bit of a footprint into next offseason and what Nicholas Claxton is maybe going to command or what the Nets will be looking to sign into. By the way, I don't know how fans looked at that Nas Reed number and then related it back to Nicholas Claxton. What's wrong with that? What is, like, what is wrong with what ends up being, what is that, 14 average AAV on a contract like that? I, I, I have no gripes with having Nicholas Claxton in and around that number. And it's probably going to be a little bit higher because, oh, by the way, I think that the Nets are going to expand his game continually going into this upcoming season. I'll be very interested to see how he looks now going into a full season after a full off season with Mikhail Bridges, with, we think, Cameron Johnson, with Spencer Dinwiddie, right? And the players, Dorian Finney-Smith, Royce O'Neal, at least at this moment, going in with these players and seeing how his role continues to expand. Now, um, can you sit here and dream on, if we're just continuing to cap off this Carl Anthony Towns conversation about why it doesn't work in Minnesota and why, by the way, the big reason why Minnesota is also looking at it like this is we gave up everything to get Rudy Gobert. So we can't move off of Rudy. <laughs> like we can't make that pivot here. We need to be able to go in another direction potentially. And by the way, inside of all of these articles, because speculation runs rampant, all that was communicated is that after this season, it would become difficult for the Minnesota Timberwolves to justify the money they'd be paying to those three players at that one single position. But going into this year, they can get away with it. Whether or not it's the best on-court product and yields the best results, that's a whole different discussion. That being the case, though, I like, one, not entertaining uh, deals like this, though understanding why it's intriguing. It's a, another example of a big name, a superstar name, that I just don't think the Nets are really in the waters of. We did it with Damian Lillard. We kind of brushed aside DeJounte Murray thoughts. We, you know, we've brushed aside a lot of different versions of this. And who knows, something may come up in the offseason. But so far, it seems like it's mostly been fluff. And I also like the footprints of a contract for Nicholas Claxton going forward. Coming up here in a second, though, we're going to turn our attention over to the market. We'll talk in-house first. Everything we're going to do about free agency and preparing for free agency, position by position, what do we have on the roster? Who are guys we want to keep? Who are guys we want to see us move away from? And then what are our options to replace and improve this team? 
So we're doing this for the center position. We'll probably lump together the backcourt into one conversation. Maybe we'll lump the forwards into another. This is already Thursday's episode. Friday is the start of free agency. So we'll probably push this out as quickly as we can and as detailed as we can. So coming up in a second, we talk about the options on the market for the Brooklyn Nets and the spectrum from the highest possible profile players available in free agency all the way down to veteran minimum guys that you may not get excited about when you hear the names, but can still be a marginal move in the right direction for the Brooklyn Nets. Before we get into that, though, I got to tell you about something else. And that's going to be our friends over at, oh, you guessed it, Prize Picks. When you get over to Prize Picks, it's just you picking two to six players, and you'll go whether or not they'll hit the over or under on their Prize Picks projections. You can win up to 25 times your money on an entry. There's no competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections available, and Prize Picks offers projections on any sport that you can watch, including. Obviously, the NBA, the NFL, MLB, NHL, PGA, college football, men's college basketball, women's college basketball, soccer, WNBA, esports, NASCAR, tennis, MMA, boxing, disc golf, Euro basketball, cricket, and more. So you're going to want to go ahead and download the PrizePix app or go to prizepix.com to sign up for a opportunity to play daily fantasy sports. First time users can receive 100% Instant deposit matchup to $100, a promo code, all caps, locked on. If you deposit $100, you get $100. You deposit $50, you get $50. You do all the versions of that. And all you know is that you can get up to 100% deposit match on $100. Don't forget to enter promo code locked on at prizepicks.com or on the PrizePicks app. Woo, made it through the journey. All right. Let's start talking about options that are on the table. I went ahead over at the Athletic. It's a good uh, publication. John Hollinger breaking down the different tiers of players at the center position on the market. Now, before we talk about the guys that I think are options for the Brooklyn Nets, there are certainly some other names that are going to get mentioned here that you may or that you may want me to mention here. I tried to categorize this realistically by what we're hearing and what the intentions are of teams around the league. We already know that Kristaps Porzingis, that's the opt-in, move on, he's gone to Boston. Okay, fine. But even when you get to a guy like Jakob Pertl and you think about Toronto, you know, this is giving us both the what the board, B-O-R-D, money sign, uh, evaluation is for this player, as well as Hollinger looking at whether or not he agrees with the evaluation and what the potential outcome is going to be here this offseason. Toronto is pot committed on a player that right now is getting an evaluation around 25 million per year, whether or not that number could be a little bit high. They made the move for him. He is maybe moving into like, there's an interesting rim protecting rebounding, but doesn't necessarily have that switchability on defense, but there's too much value there for Toronto to let him go. So we move past a player like that, just to give you a sense of how we're going to approach it. Other guys we're not going to look at. Brooke Lopez. I know he's a fan favorite. I would love to have Brooke back in Brooklyn, obviously, to finish out his career. But he's going to end up back in Milwaukee because that is a veteran-heavy team around Giannis, and they're in run-it-back mode right now. A a three-year deal, something in the $55 to $60 million range for Brooke Lopez is where Hollinger thinks it's going to go, and I just don't think the Nets are going to be in there. Dwight Powell, doesn't matter, don't like him, not very good. Vucevic, going to be back with the Bulls, obviously. So these are guys that we move away from simply for the fact that they're not going to be really viable options for the Brooklyn Nets. 
the highest level name that we can talk about. And I'm surprised to be back here again because what, two and a half, maybe three years ago, I talked about this player and wanting to potentially bring him to Brooklyn. He's had his journey, and that's Christian Wood, right? Um, he has had an interesting career. He seems to butt heads in, in his different stops along the way, but there's no denying that he is a career 15-point-a-night game. He's a career 38% from beyond the arc, three-point shooter. And even though the free throw numbers are not as high as you'd want them to be, he kind of represents the exact model of player that the Nets would love to have in to complement Nicholas Claxton, right? And I think this is before he goes to Houston. This is back when he's in Detroit. That's when I talked about the Nets pursuing him when he was 24, going to be 25. He goes to Houston for two years. He's a starter there. And in the it plays 41 games, 41 starts, 68 games, 67 starts in his second season with Houston. He's playing 30 plus minutes. The shooting is there. The, the three-point shooting is there, averaging five attempts per game and knocking down 37 and 39% respectively. The only you know issue that I had in his time with Houston was the free throw shooting, shooting in the low 60s there, obviously. But then last season, now, and you have to contextualize this with any of these players, when they exist on a roster with a Luka, right, when they're playing with a high-level, top two, top three player in the league, and Kyrie Irving, like, you're going to realize that their game get th- gets that much easier, becomes that much easier. But nevertheless, 67 games, 17 starts, 26 minutes a night. Again, repeated the exact same process, 37, almost 38% from beyond the arc on four over four attempts per game. He knocked down 77% from the line on four attempts. That number is kind of critical because if he can do that consistently, which by the way, outside of his time in Houston, He mostly has been in the mid-70s from the line here over the course of his career. He's a career just below 70 free throw shooter, and he did a nice job of it with what? Going back to Detroit in 24, 74% year prior, 75. So it's right where you want it to be as long as it stays in the 70s there. He's a floor spacer, right? He's good enough on defense when it comes to he's not going to be a Nicholas Claxton switching everything and being able to defend one through five. No but he can rim protect. He can rebound something that the Nets desperately need help in as well. And offensively being able to put a player out on the floor of Christian Woods level and tell him, even when Nicholas Claxton's off the floor, space the floor, create some room, knock down some shots from the outside. And he's big enough to play on the interior and get some things done around the basket. I don't mean big enough in terms of size, consistent enough in his play on the interior, but you can also then entertain the option of playing him and Nicholas Claxton together on the court at the same time, because now you have the ability to let Nicholas Claxton be the guy that gets out and runs in transition, be the player that lives on the lob off, off ball in and around the basket, be a high energy player on the offensive end. And then defensively allow him to switch out, take the most difficult assignment, allow Christian Wood to play a little bit more drop coverage, and he can be that player that steps up around the arc, picks up the players on the perimeter. There's a balance here that the dev- that the Devils boy, I've had a hard time with that lately with uh with the amount of conversations I've had. There's a there's a balance here that the Nets can strike with a player like this. Um, he's not a perfect player by any stretch, right? You're gonna you're gonna be 
excited about looking at his rebound numbers defensively, where he's grabbing you eight, eight, six boards here this past season. Again, playing reduced, playing, you know, reduced minutes relative to a couple of years prior in Houston. Offensively, he's not going to give you a lot on the boards. And again, that's all right. Because, oh, by the way, when we go back and look at these, the evaluation on him for the athletic and from John Hollinger, you're looking something in the $17 million range. The good news for the Nets here, we talk about relative to other targets, is the Dallas Mavericks are not pursuing bringing him back, right? That relationship is over. There's the risk around whether or not he is just a personality that is going to be hard to bring into the fold, that's going to be hard to maintain. But what does it look like, right? I just feel like for 17 million, which by the way, would fall underneath the TPE, a critical piece of information here when it comes to targeting a player like this, it's certainly an option that you have to explore. If the Nets are thinking we want to stay high level competitive and we want to bring in a player that we know what he is, we're going to talk about other guys here in a minute that are options, but that I think also represent a level of uncertainty. Can they play consistently? Can they play large minutes? Can they play in the playoffs? Because there's a laundry list of guys that we will get to here coming up in a second that that's the exact issue you're going to run into. So we, of course, put Christian Wood on the list of potential targets for the Brooklyn Nets. And the other guy that we'll just throw into the back end of this, because I think there's there's a couple of names that have always been high on the Nets fans list. I don't mean you guys are in love with them and that you think they're going to be game changers, but you believe they are a consistent player. One of them is Mason Plumley, and he kind of falls in this category after going over to the Clippers. He obviously is a guy 33 years old. I think the age is obviously a factor. The projection here being a guy that maybe could fall underneath that MLE, looking at somewhere around 6.7. The interesting thing for me is that the Clippers need him in that role, as Hollinger explains on The Athletic. And if you're Mason Plumley, you're probably more inclined at this stage of your career to be saying, where do I stay that gives me an opportunity to, to be a supporting cast member to a potential championship run as opposed to going somewhere else? And again, for relatively the same amount of money to be whatever that's going to look like. So I don't think that he's going to fall into that list there. And then the other guy I'll throw out would be Mo Bamba. Obviously, just a name that has been mentioned consistently, L.A., non-guaranteed contract that he had with them. He falls underneath that $6 million range, which is interesting. The non-guaranteed deal with the Lakers worth 10.3, and he's not worth that level of money, as Hollinger explained. So we're in this world now um, where Mo Bamba, being a 39-plus percent three-point shooter and blocking almost three shots per 100 possessions, yeah, there's some value there. Um, he's in, He's interesting one to me. What is that margin that we talk about between a Christian Wood at 17 million, a Mo Bamba at 6 million, right? And these are kind of the numbers that I think at some point you're going to have to work within. So I just wanted to make sure that we rounded out a couple of the familiar names before we talk about some other guys here to close out the episode, including also mentioning just who's on the roster for the Brooklyn Nets. It's a lot easier with the center position because there isn't really anybody there. We get into the Dayron Sharps of the Brooklyn Nets world and other free agents that I believe could have a low cost, high value for a team like the Nets. 
All right, rounding out the episode here, as we said at the top, no, the Brooklyn Nets will not be pursuing a trade for Carl Anthony Towns and a massive $256 million contract, even if it meant getting off of the Ben Simmons money. The interesting thing for me as we turn our attention back to the Brooklyn Nets is what they do not have, right? They don't have, at this moment, any certainty around the backup center role. Dayron Sharp has shown us that he can be a high-energy guy. He can be a motor player that goes and attacks the glass and plays a little bit out of control in a good way, but he's an aggressive rebounder. We've dreamed on going back to when they drafted him, saying, is there a world where he can develop the outside shot? It's been something that has been theoretically said to be a part of his repertoire. We've yet to really see that come to fruition at the NBA level. And as we saw, even after the trade, of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and bringing back in Mikhail Bridges and Cameron Johnson, and Dorian Finney-Smith and Spencer Dinwiddie, right? That whole core. Yes, Dayron Sharp got some run down the back end of the season, and then he did not have a role when it came to the playoffs. And that's the biggest concern here. Remember, the Nets are trying to serve the agenda of being competitive through the regular season and into the playoffs. So any move that they make here, should be geared with that in mind. And it's actually what I think favors Dayron Sharp and his continued development, which, by the way, we'll talk about um, at some point next week. There are some key dates coming up around Dayron Sharp and around Cam Thomas and picking up uh, fourth-year options on them. But this allows Dayron Sharp to continue to work his game, continue to be a high-energy rebounder, and just be a player that is the back-end, you know, 13th, 14th member of the bench. I can put him all the way at the bottom. But, you know, just a, a guy that gets to sit back there and continue to grow as a player. The Nets have, have not done a remotely good enough job of filling out their roster. They've played too much small ball. And they realize, as has been said by Sean Marks time and again this offseason, like they know they need to get bigger and they know they need to improve at that spot. So that's the short list of what they have there. I'm leaving out small ball lineups where you rotate certain players into the five position. When we go back out there on the market, guys that I'm not interested in, like Drew Eubanks, no thank you, doesn't shoot threes, not that big. Um, there's some other players. Nasri, by the way, gets listed like way lower on this list um, by a valuation standpoint, and um, John Hollinger does a great job of just calling that out. So this this predates the Nasri extension by only a couple of days. Um, I've mentioned this guy before, and that's Mo Wagner, obviously, uh, brother of the other Wagner, uh, down there in Orlando, and if it's me, he is a he is a very targetable player. Now, the way that Hollinger breaks this down is ex expectations that he would return to Orlando and the Magic have plenty of cap space to fill, uh, to fit his contract, excuse me, given that a longer deal for above the minimum with some team flexibility in the form of declining money and or non-guaranteed years seems the most likely outcome. If it's me, I'm attacking it. If this is the scenario that's getting painted where the years are there, it's a little bit above the minimum. His evaluation is 3.8 million. I'm willing to use the full MLE on a player like Mo Wagner for what he means to the Brooklyn Nets potentially, right? His three-point shooting um, needs to go in more consistently, 32%. Like It's not great, but it's also a lot better than zero, which is what the Nets currently have in that capacity. I think he is a solid passer. He can play in the pick and roll. You can get him down in and around the basket a little bit. He's not the biggest um, when we talk about it, and that's mostly predicated on his wingspan being a little bit undersized. 
But I really like him, especially when we fall into, by the way, uh, these tiered out categories where he falls into what's considered tier four, more than the minimum, less than the mid-level. So I'm willing to go up to the mid-level with a player like that. Then we get into the final tier, which is guaranteed minimums. And I'm just putting out names here for you that I think are worth noting, some a little bit more interesting than others. Um, Paul Reed, Philadelphia, he's restricted. They're not letting him go anywhere. He'd be a a great one to look at. Uh, Jock Landale, Phoenix, 27 years old. He would be, uh, I think, a nice player to look at, but I think that Phoenix needs exactly that guy on the roster. They'll find a way to bring him back. Not a lot of other names of interest. I did find, before I name a veteran, let's do two things here. First of all, I know people have talked about Thomas Bryant. Um, Want to make sure that I mention him here quickly because Thomas Bryant, here's the biggest problem with him. He didn't play in the playoffs. He doesn't have a playoff role. Now, does he not have a playoff role for the Denver Nuggets, but he would have a playoff role for the Brooklyn Nets? That's certainly a conversation that you could have, but that would be the biggest concern around going down the road for a player that, as is noted here, the, the you know Nuggets traded three second-round picks to get Bryant and then ultimately buried him going in there, right? I think that when you are a good team, when you are a great team, when you are a championship-level team, a player like Thomas Bryant can maybe fall a little bit more by the wayside um, than if you're playing on a mid-level team, if you're playing on a back-end playoff team like the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, liability defensively, not necessarily a concern when you have Nicholas Claxton. I'm interested in him. Minimum guy, which I was surprised by. Surprised that he gets put into that category. Thought that that would be a little bit higher up here on the list. Someone that maybe you'd say up to the MLE, which and maybe that's what it ends up being. So I'll be fascinated to see what unfolds with him. And we talked about him before. I know he's been a name that fans really like. The other one that I'll mention here, I'm going to go very young player, and then I'm going to go uh, veteran experience player. There's a guy going around town that I really um, am interested in just as a pure prospect standpoint, and that's Jay Huff, who played for Washington this past season. When you go look, he's done a nice job developing, and he only had a very, very, and I mean very, small sample size at the NBA level. His career sample size at the NBA level is 11 games. Um, he is a, however, in those 11, in those very brief 11 games, been an effective three-point shooter, really most recently this past season, pulling up the stats in front of me. There's like this three-game sample size. And this is, by the way, talking about a minimum guy. I'm talking about the Nets adding a player to their roster that can be someone that represents potential to be at the NBA level. The Nets don't have that guy right now. Noah Clowney brought in the door, obviously, via the draft. He's still going to be maybe a year or two away from fully getting there. It never hurts to have an extra body in the door like this. Three-game sample size where this kid played 23, 30, and 27 minutes. He knocked down six out of 10. Nope, six out of 11 from beyond the arc. This was just a a guy that when you look at him, young player, 23, 24 years old, um, I would just, I would bring him in. Like these are little tiny baby moves that you make. Um, And yeah, but we'll talk about here too on the back end of this episode. I'll stick around for a couple extra minutes in the live. I'm sure there's a lot of people talking about names they like, how these guys fit, et cetera. 
the last guy that I'm going to bring up, and just so just Jay Huff is a name that I would bring into the system, bottom line. And the Brooklyn Nets are so devoid of talent in that room there and devoid of the skills that they need in that role that you, you take a shot on a player at a very low cost, maybe some high upside there for him. Last player we named then is a player that I talked about even when the Brooklyn Nets had Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and were thinking about pursuing a championship. It's Dario Saric. Yes. Now, listen, he had an injury obviously going back um a couple of seasons and then this so this past year he came in didn't look like himself until about midway through the year but in how about this though after the midseason trade with oklahoma city this was 20 games 16 points per game 65 percent true shooting percentage 29 years old understand what he is and what he is not but if you need a player that is going to give you and he has consistency he's a 36 career three-point shooter shot 39 percent over the last two seasons well this is the last one season didn't play in 21 22 and the years prior he had 38 36 and 35 percent from beyond the arc on almost four almost three and this past season that number did come down a little bit he also happens to be a career 84 percent free throw shooter if we're talking about bringing in a guy that doesn't cost anything, but can represent a safety valve around getting a little floor spacing and having a body that in theory you could put on the court in the playoffs and not worry about the struggles that Nicholas Claxton has had at the free throw line, the struggles that Dayron Sharp has had to be a part of that rotation. Here's another minimum player that could make a lot of sense for the Brooklyn Nets. So with that being the case, we covered the spectrum of why big trades aren't going to happen at this position for the Nets or maybe at any position ultimately this offseason. But Christian Wood, Mo Wagner, we talk about a Jay Huff, and we even take a look at a veteran like Dario. Those are four names covering the spectrum from top, top, top of the TPE coverage that we could potentially fit Christian Wood under all the way down to low-cost moves that you can make after you clear out some of this roster. And we're going to need to have that discussion too. Who are the guys that are getting moved on from here? That being the case, we'll come back in again. Like I said, backcourt episode, talking about who we have, who should stay, who should go, and who are the available players on the market. And then we'll move into the front court with both forward positions. How do we continue to get better, whether or not we're moving off of Dorian Finney-Smith, moving off of Royce O'Neal? There's still going to be names out there, and I'm pretty excited about the idea of being able to reshape the backcourt in a couple of, of some what feel like potentially simple moves. The Brooklyn Nets could very well reshape that backcourt while still keeping a guy like Spencer Dinwiddie in there. So be sure to be around for those episodes, too. And most likely, by the way, not to throw this in at the very end, I think it's far more likely that the Nets live in the lower cost big market than they do at the at the high end of it, because I think it's easier to compile um, a, a cobble together, a skill set that makes sense there with Nicholas Claxton currently. Whereas if you're looking in the backcourt, you maybe are more willing to do a little more work. I could be wrong. Maybe the number for Christian Wood comes out right. And that's a nice short-term rental that, by the way, at 27 years old, lines right up with this current core's timeline. 
That being the case, my friends, you may have noticed I'm live on YouTube for the second straight morning. And yeah, I'll probably be live again tomorrow for the third straight morning. But sometime today on Thursday, if you're listening to this episode live or you're hearing on the podcast feed, I'm going to come back in and handle one of these other areas of need for the Brooklyn Nets in this offseason as we prepare for the free agency frenzy that should be coming. And that's why you need to be subscribed on YouTube so you don't miss the live feed. You don't miss the bonus content. That's why you need to be subscribed on the podcast feed where we get the need fulfilled. Reminder, it's 100% free. I'm doing it all for free, baby, as is Doug when he comes back. He asked for a big paycheck. They didn't give it to him. We do it all for free, man. And you, it costs you nothing, and it means everything to see that support. And as you know, with no Doug Norrie, there is no quote short of saying that I miss my friend. And I can't wait until he's back so we can keep talking all things Brooklyn Nets basketball.